Hi everyone, welcome to Constant Writers, the show where I talk to indie horror authors about them, their work, and their relationship with Stephen King. My name is Dave Musson, I'm at Dave Musson on Instagram. I run the Dave Reeves King YouTube channel. And amazingly, we're at the season finale already for this first run of Constant Writers. And I feel very lucky and very excited to introduce this episode's guest. It's somebody who is a writer, of both fiction and non-fiction and is a fan of Stephen King so far so much like everybody else who's been on the season I guess but this man is not just a fan of Stephen King he's a friend of Stephen King he's collaborated with him and he's written books about him I'm talking about Bev Vincent so you may have come across some of his works including The Road to the Dark Tower and the one that came out last year and got a lot uh, press and publicity and is well worth adding to your collection. Is Stephen King a complete exploration of his work, life and influences? This is a terrific book. Even for someone like me, who is quite immersed in the world of King, I learned so much from this book and got so much from it. So in this conversation, Bev and I, as we've been doing for all series, we talk about his journey into writing and we talk about how he got into Stephen King. But of course, we also talk about these books Got some great stories from Bev about how, when he was writing this book, his idea for having this book led to him getting to read the final three Dark Tower books two years before anybody else in the world. But he wasn't allowed to talk about them to anybody. There's some great stuff in here. Uh, we also talk about the Flight or Fright anthology that King and Bev collaborated on, some short stories set on an aeroplane. And I think it's just a really rousing way to end this first season. So do stick around, enjoy the conversation, and go and pick up all of Bev's works. His non-fiction stuff especially is terrific. His fiction stuff is excellent as well. So do support Bev if you enjoy what he has to say in this interview. And if you want to support me, there's the Ultimate Ceiling King Quiz book, which you can find on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Links in the description. And as a thank you for signing up for the newsletter, you also get a short collection of short stories as an ebook for free just for signing up so anyway enough plugging my stuff you're here to hear from bev vincent so i'm not going to hold that up any further but i will be back at the end just to say bye and wrap up this first series of concert writers well bev welcome to concert writers how are you doing thank you very good and very good thank you for having me on so there's plenty for us to talk about in this chat. I mean, obviously Stephen King in particular, and I think we'll, we'll get to him in a while. But first I wanted to chat about you, really. Um, you, you're a writer in both fiction and non-fiction. I know your, your fiction has appeared in a number of places. Um, Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine, a bunch of other places too, as well as your non-fiction. So I guess take me back to your start. Like, When did you fall in love with writing and, and reading as well, I guess? I started reading at a very early age. I, I grew up in a, a rural community where there wasn't much uh, by way of entertainment. Uh, we had one TV station, uh, you know, no access to movie theaters. So I, I read a lot. Um, I cut my teeth on the Hardy Boys. I uh, migrated into uh, Agatha Christie. Um, but yeah, I read voraciously. And I, I did a little bit of writing in those days. Um, I remember writing a short story for a grade eight uh, English class, which was well received by my teacher. He was very encouraging about it. Um, but really, I started dabbling a little bit more seriously with writing when I went to college. And uh, the, the inspiration was essentially King's Night Shift. 
I started writing a lot of stories that were, you know, very derivative or very inspired by the types of things that were in that collection. But I put it aside for a long time because, you know, I, I, I did, you know, university, I did a PhD, I was, you know, job and all that. So I didn't really pick up writing again seriously until about, um, I guess 1999 is when I decided I'm going to get back to this writing thing again and do something with it. And what, what was it that prompted you to pick it up again at that point? And if anything in particular? Um, it's, it's hard to say. Um, there was a local writers guild that I became aware of. Um, I went to one of their meetings with Joe Lansdale, who's an East Texas, uh, writer of, uh, crime and of work quite well known in the genre. He appeared that day. He, he didn't read from his work. He sat there and told stories, which were just immensely entertaining and humorous stories. And I think that maybe got me, uh, fired up to do the writing bug a bit again. See, you mentioned earlier that you some of the stuff you were writing at college was was quite heavily influenced by King. I mean, in terms of since you've picked up on your fiction side, since you've picked it up again and you've you've got more published and stuff, like how has your own style developed? Like if you had an elevator pitch for your style of fiction, what what would it be? A little bit of everything. Um, I started with horror, um, just because that was a community that I was really intimately familiar with. Uh, um, there was a lot of uh, social media as it was in those days, uh, places where people got together and talked about horror fiction more than anything else. Uh, over the years, I've migrated more towards crime fiction and mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I'm writing horror or science fiction or fantasy these days, it tends to have a, a crime fiction uh, secondary or maybe even a primary uh, focus. Uh, I wrote a a story set on a space station, which was very much inspired by the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, mean, I think crime is probably where I'm settling towards, but still, um, I have a novel, which we're going to be uh, shopping around next year, which is, it has horror elements more than anything else. So I haven't abandoned the horror community, but uh, it's it's mostly crime, I would say. Yeah. And, and in terms of your nonfiction, I mean, the that will eventually bring us nicely onto King, but you're obviously very well established as as an essayist. I guess, like, how how do you go about getting into that side of things, like putting yourself out there as an essayist, and particularly looking at, at the works of of King? It started because in the 1990s, um, I was very active on what was it was called Usenet, and I think the the current analog would probably be Reddit. Um, there were sort of channels for every interest, you know, if you're interested in hockey or if you're interested in a certain musician or a certain writer, there was a channel and it was very active in the Stephen King world. And I was, you know, quite prolific poster on those. And Richard Schismar, who is the um, publisher of Cemetery Dance Magazine and the, the, the publishing house, approached me in 2001, I think it was because he was the the magazine had been on a hiatus for a couple of years and he was starting it up again and he wanted to reboot the column that he always had in the magazine which was stephen king news and uh reviews and commentary and he asked me if i would write it so i didn't really put myself out there so much as somebody came and found me and asked if i would do it Mm -hmm. and so i've been doing that for cemetery dance magazine now for over 20 years um we still do it in the magazine uh, I do a sort of a sporadic uh, online version of it as well called News from the Dead Zone. Mm-hmm. So that's really how I got into the nonfiction side of things. And you've got a bunch of, of articles on, I think it's Stephen King Revisited.com, is it? We're l- looking at sort of 
retrospective views of, of, of his novels. And that's probably some of the first bits of your work that I came across, actually. When it, when it comes to approaching your nonfiction writing, I mean, aside from the obvious, like, do, do you, do you almost get in a different mindset compared to when you're writing fiction? Is it, is, is it a totally different process for you or, or is it just, is it just a different, is it just the, the, the different audience that you're, you're looking for? I think it's a different process. Um, fiction is very much inspiration driven. Um, you need to have the ideas, you need to develop the characters, you need to build the world. Where nonfiction, I would almost say that it's easier in a sense because you don't have to make anything up. In fact, you shouldn't. <laughs> um, and it's a matter of just doing the research and then presenting the research in a way that hopefully is interesting to the audience. I mean, you talked about the Stephen King Revisited. Um, that's a project we've got. There's the book coming out that collects the first batch of those coming out, I think, next year. And, you know, it was Richard Chisnar going back and re-experiencing the King books in order. And then he asked me if I would sort of give a little bit of historical context, which, uh, you know, I've got all sorts of historical context. I've got file drawers full of historical context on King stuff, uh, which has served me well in a number of different projects. So let's... Let's go on to King then, given that this, this channel is, is a King one. And I mean, certainly compared to other people I've been talking to for this series, you've got a lot closer to the man himself than anybody else I've talked to. But what what does he mean to you as as a fan? I mean, you mentioned earlier he was quite influential on your, your early style of writing. Like, what, I, I can see you've, you've got as many King books on your shelf behind you as I have on mine. So like, what what sort of place does, does Stephen King hold in, in your heart as a, as a fan? Well, I've always been the sort of person that when I discover something I like, whether it's music or uh, fiction or whatever, I become a completist. Mm -hmm. um, I've had, like I said, I've got all the Hardy Boy books. I've got all the Agatha Christie books. And then when I discovered King through reading uh, Salem's Lot in 1979, just picked up as you know a random purchase in a used bookstore, I was just compelled by his storytelling abilities, but even more than that, by his characterization. And he built a world of people before he brought in the horror elements in that novel. You will know all about this small town, all of its politics, you know, the interpersonal relations. And over the years, I've realized that there are a lot of other readers, uh, writers that I read extensively, but there aren't many books from the distant past where I could pick it off the shelf and tell you not only what it was about, but who the characters were. Whereas with King, I feel like I've built relationships with all of the characters in his books over the years. And I could tell you a lot of things about any of the characters in any of those books. And so that says a lot to me about his power as a storyteller, but also as somebody who can bring people to life in the page. It's a real, it's a real talent. And, you know, like I said, I've been with that since 1979 so we're talking 40 some years because he's been somebody who i've kept up with constantly over that whole span well i mean i mean you've done you obviously done a lot more than just keep up with him as a fan you know you've you've collaborated with him you've written about him which which we'll talk about shortly but i guess as the first question on this point i was i was curious as to like how you go from being that that fan that completest fan to to actually meeting with him talking with him working with him even like how, how did all that come about i mean it's a trajectory that i don't think that you could uh advise somebody else this is how you do it because there are just so many things along the way that happened i would say well, I, the first time i met him in person 
was 1988, I guess. He was on a book tour, and I went to one of his signings. So you know, I was in his presence for the first time, but I was just one of the masks and we're getting a book signed. <laughs> um, when I started working on the cemetery dance column, I used to sort of um, sift through the news to find things uh, that people were saying about different projects. And somebody wrote, um, I think it was on Aided Cool News, about the fact that he had written a screenplay for a book called Asylum. And somebody had gotten their hands on it. It was never produced, but they said it was boring. And so I wrote that in the cemetery dance column. And King, you know, King reads the magazine. He's contributed to the magazine, you know, giving them short stories. And I got this message from his office saying, Steve wants you to read the, the screenplay and find out if you think it's boring or not. And so that was sort of my first direct-ish uh, relationship with him. Um, but previous to that, um, I had, you know, like I talked about Usenet and the, the King. One of the people who was uh, a background contributor to that news group, in addition to Peter Straub, was Tabitha King. Okay. Because the internet was sort of new in those days, and people were trying to figure out what this was about and what you could do with it and what you had to be aware of and all of that. And so at first, I didn't know who she was because she was there under a pseudonym, but we, I figured it out eventually, and we started this pen pal relationship. And I come from Eastern Canada, province called New Brunswick, shares a border with Maine. I've been to Bangor as a kid many, many times. And so one year, my wife and I were going back to Canada to visit my parents, and we were flying into Bangor and driving the rest of the way. And I sort of audaciously said to Tabitha King, you know, we're going to be in Bangor this day, you know, it'd be nice to have coffee or something like that and just sort of meet. And she invited us over to their house uh, in Bangor. And so my wife and I got to spend the evening mostly with Tabitha, but Steve came in and we did a bunch of stuff with him. Uh, sons Joe and Owen were both there, so I got to sort of meet the whole family. And that was, you know, the beginning of a, a more familiar relationship, I would say. Currently, you know, aside from Flight or Fright, where we actually sort of work together on a project, mostly we talk these days about the sorts of things. We, we pass recommendations back and forth, uh, books, uh, TV series, uh, movies. We have common interests in, so like Scandinavian and British crime series and, uh, you know, German horror series. And so we're always passing these things back and forth to each other. We very rarely engage about his work directly or even my work. Uh, we're just talk, talking like friends who, you know, share common interests. And uh, I mean, I, I was going to ask you what he's like. I will ask you that in a moment, but you mentioned the screenplay and he, he set you the task of reading it to find out if it was boring. Was it boring? It wasn't boring. It wasn't my cup of tea. It wasn't the okay. the sort of, uh, I mean, I Patrick Morgoth, I think, was the novel it was based on. Uh, and, you know, I wouldn't say it was boring. It was just, I think, probably this person who had read it was expecting something more in the Stephen King vein. Okay. And it wasn't that. It was, you know, sort of slice of life, uh, domestic drama, kind of thing and yeah i i liked it uh i didn't find it boring but i can see why somebody who expected to find you know a creep show or something like that might you know if you went into that mindset yeah. you might out of it with the wrong idea fair enough so so back to my question about what king is like um what what is he like you, you've clearly you've, you've become friends with him over the, the last few years like what what is he like as a, as a human 
I think the fundamental thing that I would say about him beyond the fact that he's an ordinary guy, just like everybody else with the same sort of likes and dislikes, is how generous he is. And his generosity is visible in so many ways. He's a big presence on social media. And even before that, with uh, he wrote a column for the Entertainment Weekly uh, magazine. And he often uses that visibility to lift up other people, other musicians, other writers, other you know creators of uh, TV series and movies. He's he's been very generous to me. Um, I would say that the first real sign of generosity was when I was working on the Road to the Dark. Actually, when I had the idea for the Road to Dark Tower, which was my uh, 2004 book about King's Dark Tower series, and I heard that he was going to write the last three books, or actually they did finished writing the last three books, sort of all in one uh, fell swoop. And I very audaciously sent this fax to the office saying, you know, I've got this idea um, to write this book that would I really like if it could come out very shortly after the Dark Tower series is completed. And to do that, it would be just so wonderful if I could read these manuscripts. And so the next day I got the thing back saying they're on their way. And so I got 2,500 pages of first draft manuscripts two years before the books were published. And the only limitation I had on that was, Steve knows where you live. (laughs) So that was the sort of warning that would put a chill in the heart of anyone to say, you know, don't talk about this uh, at all. I think his publisher was a lot more nervous than he was because by that point, I think he had a reasonably good idea of who I was. Um, but yeah, over the years, he's just been really, really generous, uh, elevating all sorts of people. I mean, the one example I can think of, there's a, a crime writer named Meg Gardner, who was very popular in England, but hadn't cracked into the American uh, marketplace yet. She didn't have a publisher here. And so King wrote about her in Entertainment Weekly, raved about her books. And almost immediately, you know, interest in America grew and she got a publishing deal and now she's uh, co-writing the sequel to Heat with Michael Mann, you know, so that's not saying that she wouldn't have done it on her own, but, you know, a little bit of a, a finger on the scale always helps, and uh, that's generous guy, really generous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Your most recent work, as we sit down and record this, is, I can see it on the shelf behind you, actually, is the um, the Stephen King Complete Guide. Um, I, I've got it on my shelf there as well. Really, really enjoyed it as a as a book. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came about? Because I know I know you had this sort of you had a, a sort of version one of it a few years ago, but this is obviously an expanded and updated edition. So just just tell me a little bit about that and how it all came about. So the Road to the Dark Tower came out in two thousand and four, was pretty popular, still in print, and so in a few years after that, um, there was a they're called a book packager. They're a publisher that makes elaborate books. Or even for the traditional publishers, they have a lot of pictures and lots of stuff going on. And so they, I got this sort of cold email over the blue saying they've been approached by Barnes and Noble, which is one of the big American bookstore chains, to produce a Stephen King Reader's Companion. And they had done previous ones on Edgar Allan Poe and on Jane Austen. And on the strength of The Road to the Dark Tower, they asked me if I would write the text for that. And they sent me copies of these books, and they're, they were just fun, tactile books. They had documents that you could remove and look at. They were like reproductions of, you know, period pieces and things. I thought, oh, this is really great. I was a little bit limited in 
how much I could write with that book because, you know, the page count was pretty low. Mm-hmm. And so I had to be very selective about which books I talked about at length. And so I picked eight or nine and sort of said, these are books where there is a significant autobiographical uh, aspect to them, or there was something really interesting going on in King's life when he came up with them and when he was writing them. And so that book came out in 2009, 2010. It was limited to Barnes and Noble, so it didn't get very broad distribution. It uh, went out of print quickly. They reprinted a second uh, printing. We did an updated version a few years later with a new chapter and some revisions. Again, went out of print. And I, I, every now and then I'd check in with them saying, you know, this book's pretty popular. You know, What do you think about doing another print run? And so I guess it, was, it would have been last year when I approached Megan, I found that this publisher called Becker and Meyer had been uh, bought by Quarto, which is a big international publishing group. And when I pitched the idea of a reprint, they said, well, rather than doing a reprint, what do you think about doing a massively expanded version? And I thought, great, that's, that's just terrific. Um, so I went back to square one. The material from the previous version, the Stephen King Illustrated Companion, is mostly in there with some revisions. But there were a lot of books that I had completely neglected, not even mentioned some of them. And so this book covers absolutely every book that King has written, from the, by even some of the things that haven't been published, uh, all the way up to fairy tale at, at some depth, some of them more than others. Um, but everything is covered. Uh, so it was, it was a great delight for me to be able to go back and expand on that. Some of the things that I had done for uh, Stephen King Revisited also helped inform that because hmm. it's all about historical context, and, and that's what this book really is. Um, very little of it is my uh, slant on things. Uh, as much as possible, it's King in his own words, especially talking at the time that he was working on something. So I've got, like I said, drawers full of interviews from you know the 70s and 80s and 90s where he talked about what he was working on at the time or what was new. And so as much as possible, I was able to delve into those to say, you know, this is what he was thinking about when he was working on this book. Yeah. And it really is, it really is a comprehensive book. And I found like, obviously someone who's, who's very steeped in King, I, I got a lot from it and learned things from it. And I think people who are quite new to to King as well would get so much from it as well. So it, you know, I can't recommend it enough. I think it's a, you did a terrific job with it. And it's a really, really enjoyable book. The other one I wanted to mention, again, I can see it over your shoulder, is Flight or Fright, which is the one you mentioned earlier where you actually collaborated with King and you were co-editors of that anthology and you both contributed stories to it as well. Um, I've spoken to a couple of other writers who have edited anthologies and they've talked about it being an enjoyable process and things. How, how did you how did you find being that? having that editorial role and also like how did it work did you did you shortlist together did you did you sort of share ideas sort of uh, just just from long distance like how, how did it all come about it started at a dinner in bangor that uh, a bunch of us had been invited to just before the premiere of the dark tower movie so people had come in from all across the country you know, some of the people from sony uh, robin firth uh, was there she wrote the dark tower concordance Ch- richard schismar was there with his sons um, some of his friends. And so we had this nice dinner beforehand. And everybody had a story about their adventures getting to Bangor. You know, Bangor is a fairly small town. Uh, there's no direct flights from pretty much anywhere. So we all, we all had a little bit of a story about how we got there. And as Steve was talking to various people, he had this idea. And he had just read 
the the, the horror of the heights um which was uh one of the stories to be included and he had this idea he said he came over to richard schismer and i was sitting next to richard and he said i just had this great idea for an anthology he said we'll gather together all the great stories about things that happen when you're on board an airplane you know horror stories was the original concept but we sort of expanded on that and uh but he said i'm going to need some help finding those stories and he looked at me and he said well, you can help me that'll be your job and i've often joked you know if i'd gone off to the bathroom and missed that moment somebody else might have got the bond assignment but i was fortunate to be there and so our original idea was that we would use the langoliers as the anchor uh yeah his, his airplane story um and then we started looking and what we discovered was is it's a fairly um narrow uh subgenre there are not a lot of published stories um, set on airplanes, uh, short stories that you know that, that you can find in uh, anthologies and things. So we started looking around. We had some ideas right off the bat. So we had the Horror of the Heights, which was the Conan Doyle story. Um, we had the Richard Bathens story that came to me immediately. You know, everybody knows uh, the horror, the uh, horror at X thousand feet, and it's different versions, twenty five thousand feet. And then we started looking around. Uh, he he found some. I found some. Um, I did some posts on social media asking for recommendations, um, and we came up with this list, which, and I think that we were pretty exhaustive. Um, I don't think we left much on the table, and so we didn't have to cull very much, mm. uh, or at all, really. There's only been one story subsequent to that that I've found. There was a Rick Howdle story, oddly enough, published in Cemetery Dance Magazine that didn't come to our attention that probably would have included if I'd found it. Um, but we, I think we strip mined that genre pretty uh, extensively. Um, so then it came down to a matter of, well, the Langoliers is in the Stephen King world a novella, but it's 90,000 words long. So everything else sort of, sort of, you know, gets dwarfed in its presence. And so Steve came up, <laughs> contacts me one day and he says, well, what do you think if I wrote a new story? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, no, Steve, please don't write a new story. That won't help the anthology at all. <laughs> <laughs> so he came up with the turbulence expert. And then he was talking to his son, Joe, about this as he was working on it. And uh, Joe Hill, uh, you know, published author, many stories and novels in his own right, uh, came up with an original story for it, too. So we had the two originals in addition to the uh, the reprints. Hmm. And and what was King like to work with as a, as a co-editor? Well, he's, he's fun. Uh, we were out, you know, bouncing things back and forth. I, mean, I, I came up with the idea for the title in the shower one morning, you know, since it was where I do my cogitating after I'm done writing and, uh, you know, bounced off and he said, oh, that's great. And then he, he said, I, I think I'll, I'll write little introductions for all of them. So he, he kept sending me all these little introductions. And I remember getting one, uh, I think it was for the Roald Dahl story. Uh, Wherever he was, I think he was in Western Maine at the time, and it was in the winter, and power went out. And so he wrote this thing by hand uh, on a notepad, and then he sent me a photograph of it, sent it off. And uh, But then when it came to do the introduction for my story, he said, you write the introduction for that one. And then, of course, he contributed this wonderful introduction to the book, which, to my mind, contains the most scary flying story of all. Uh, the one where he almost died when his mm -hmm. uh, small plane had a close encounter with a much larger one. And then uh, I wrote an afterward for it. So then when the audiobook came along, uh, 
they asked me if I would uh, do the audio recording for my afterward, which was a brand new experience for me. Uh, Steve did the other, uh, did his introduction and the other uh, story introduction. And then we, we got together on the phone and did this uh, sort of uh, round robin interview of each other, uh, which was uh, an interesting experience. Uh, we uh, just talked about the experience of creating it for the audiobook. Yeah. And I know King is famously uh, not a good flyer. I mean, uh, I, I, was, I, went to, I, I went to Cheltenham um, earlier this year in the UK to watch him receive his uh, special prize and do a speech, but obviously he was joining remotely because he doesn't fly. How are you as a flyer? Are you are you better than King or are you? Oh, I, yeah, I'd get on a plane, a plane any day without any hesitation. Been flying since nineteen seventy eight, I guess. Uh, yeah. In in my day job, I had to do a lot of travel, um, especially in the uh, the nineteen nineties. I was flying all over North America, mm-hmm. then to China, to Japan, to Australia. Was, yeah, I don't have any issues with flying at all. Okay, so what I want to bring us on to now is like. For for every episode of this series, I've asked all of the writers who've come on to to pick one King book in particular to talk about in a bit more detail. And I think with you, I mean, people might have already guessed and they can probably tell from the books that are over your shoulder. But given that you've written The Road to Dark Tower, Dark Tower Compendium, it seemed obvious to to dip into the Dark Tower series and, and chat to you a bit more about that. So I guess to start on the Dark Tower, like, what is it about that series that clicks with you so much? Well, in the first, it, the initial interest was the fact that I couldn't get my hands on it. Okay. Uh, when Pet Cemetery came out, he listed the gunslinger in the front of the book and that was one of his publications. And all of a sudden, everybody's going, what? Wait, what? There's a book that we don't know about that we haven't read. How do we get this? And so I became, as the completist, as I said earlier, you know, sort of a maniac. I hawed at all of the bookstores and libraries in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is where I was living at the time. You know, how do I get a copy of this? How do I get a copy of this? Couldn't. So I wrote a letter to King's office, and I got a letter back. The letter is reprinted in The Road to the Dark Tower, and it said, you know, well, there's been so much interest in this book that we've authorized a second printing. 20 bucks for the, the gunslinger, uh, you know, we'll just send in your money and you'll get a copy. And so I got the gunslinger in about 83 or 84. And as the only book in the series, you know, and as somebody who reread a lot in those days, I reread The Gunslinger fairly, fairly uh, a good number of times in the 1980s. When I, and I know it's a difficult book for some people, but what I really liked about it was the mood. I, I usually describe it to people as a mood piece. It's a very grim, moody, you know, and, and you know, Roland Deschain uh, is a very grim, moody person. And I, I like that. It was something about that appealed to me as a, a 20-something-year-old uh, young man. And so, of course, I kept up with the series as it came along. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the second book came out, and I, we knew about it then. We were able to buy it then. Um, and then, you know, every five, six years, uh, there was another one. And, you know, sometimes the, the wait was... Uh, quite quite a strain because you know he didn't always leave us with a good resolution uh the, the... well I, yeah i wanted to ask about that because for me i i came to the dark tower in 2010 so i had the luxury of just being able to read them all back to back but those gaps between books three and four and again four and five they they must have been agony to, there were agony there, there were definitely agony and and i know that his poor office staff suffered because people kept <laughs> bombarding them with questions about you know when's gonna be the next dark tower book I, whenever he appeared in the public, I'm sure he got bombarded with the questions too. 
I, I guess, I mean, I agonized to a certain extent, but there were always other books uh, from King along. So it wasn't like uh, the Game of Thrones, you know, where everybody's waiting for the, the new uh, book in that series and there hasn't been a lot else to fill the gap. Uh, there's always, you know, every year there was at least one, if not two books. So, you know, I'm fairly patient. I was, I, I waited for the, the, the muse to strike again. And then, you know, when we heard that he was going to uh, finish the book, uh, in one fell the series in one fell swoop, you know, they're sort of like, okay, you know, we can, we can wait for three books. Uh, although I didn't have to wait, fortunately, as long as everybody else. <laughs> and, and how, how did you enjoy getting that, the, the, that final flourish? Cause I guess, I guess it was a bit like a sprint finish at the end of a marathon, a marathon or something like how, how was it sort of having everything resolved just bang, bang, bang like that? Well, you know, I, it was all in, in manuscript. So I have this like massive 2000 some pages of, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheets. And so I just remember sitting on the couch in the living room in the morning, just, you know, read a page, turn, pass it over, read a page, pass it over. And I got to a point in uh, the final book, um, uh, where I had maybe a hundred pages left to go. And I, like I said, I've got a day job and, uh, you know, I normally left for the office at eight thirty in the morning and that morning I, uh, I was late for work because I just couldn't stop. I just had to read through to the end. And when I finished that, I sent him a quick message saying, you made me late for work this morning. And said, you know, it's like one of the best, you know, compliments that a writer can get was that the stuff was that compelling. The agony, I think for me was that I couldn't talk about it to anybody else. I, I couldn't even talk to my editor for the road to the dark tower because he hadn't read them. So I was writing in a vacuum essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, I set myself a very strict, uh, set of guidelines, you know, because once the word about the road to the dark tower got out and people knew I'd read the books, I started to get questions and I said, I'll, I'll answer one question and one question only. I'll tell you how many pages are in the books and that's it. I'll not say anything. So there was a bit of agony there, but in a way it allowed me to write about those books without, um, any other influences yeah my thoughts on those books were strictly my own because nobody else like you know, like i said i couldn't talk about it with anybody else nobody else had read at the same time as that being quite freeing like it not being influenced by others did did it feel like it added any more pressure to what you were writing on in any way well you know there's, there's always you always run the risk i think you know as any reviewer you know you get out there and you either trash something uh, you know the first one out there and everybody else comes along and they just love it and think well what did i miss or vice versa um but you know I, in that book i wasn't writing a review essentially i was writing uh, a deep dive into its influences and its interconnections and uh you know where it came from and how it tied into other things and you know i, I did write a few little essays toward the end that were a little bit more sort of, I guess, say critical analysis, but a lot of it, I saw myself as the, the tour guide of Midworld. Mm -hmm. We're going to walk through this series and say, oh, did you notice that? And that thing there is really significant and it comes from that. And that was really where I was coming from when I was working on that book. Okay. And in terms of, sorry, my dog's just barking in the background. In terms of the, the actual ending itself, it's, it's one that among the community of constant readers can sometimes be a bit divisive. I mean, you obviously got to read it a lot earlier than, than many of us. So what are your thoughts on the ending? Does it, does it work for you? Are you 
you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be divisive when I read it. When I read that last line, I thought it couldn't be anything else. Mm. It just seemed to be a perfect thing. Mm. Um, I didn't uh, query King much on when I was working on that book. There were a few little things I asked him along the way. Um, but the one, one question I do remember asking him was, did you ever consider stopping at the point where you said, you know, if you go beyond this point, you do so at your own peril. Did you ever consider just ending there? And he said, no, he said, I could never have done that. So in terms of, obviously this is a series that you've lived with pretty much from the start and you've, you've, you've dedicated a chunk of your, your work and your life to it. So who are you, some, who are some of your favorite characters, favorite settings, favorite scenes? Like what, what, what are your, what are the greatest hits of the tower for you? I mean, and the, the, the core Kachet, of course, it's easy to pick them as favorite characters. Um, having Father Callahan show back up again <laughs> and fill in the gaps on what he'd been up to since uh, the end of Salem's Lot, because Salem's Lot was where I began. Um, and I and I knew that you know, over the years, people had often asked King, you know, if he would follow up Salem's Lot. And he said, you know... The only thing that really interests me is what happened to Father Callahan after he got on that bus and abandoned the town. And so knowing that and then finally getting to see that uh, was, was rewarding. Um, one other thing that uh, happened to me while I was uh, working, I, I, at, at some point, so I went to a fundraiser that King had put together in uh, New York City that was himself and Peter Straub and John Grisham and Pat Conroy. And it was at that time called the Wave Dancer Foundation. And it was because uh, Frank Muller, the uh, audiobook narrator, had been in a serious accident um, as an independent artist, didn't have health care. And so they put this fundraiser together. And I approached some of the organizers with an idea to raise some money another way, which was reasonably successful. And so I got this package in the mail one day, and it was uh, a, little, a little yellow uh, notepad, and on it was handwritten the section from the Song of Susanna where Eddie and Roland meet Stephen King. Hmm. And King had written this section while he was flying to California to visit Frank Muller. And so he sent me this tablet at this section long before I got into the series later on, uh, you know, those last three books uh, as a thank you for my contribution to that uh, foundation. And it was just mind blowing to, cause I didn't know what was going to happen in book five. And so here I'm in a book six and so, wow, they're going to meet Stephen King. And I just thought, wow, that's just the most incredible thing. I was just flabbergasted by it uh, in a positive sense. And I thought, wow, I can't wait to meet Stephen King in the dark tower series. So if if I if I forced you to pick from one favorite of the like the core Dark Tower books and one favorite of of one of the Dark Tower adjacent books, what would your two picks be? I will always pick the Gunslinger, uh, and I know it's not a popular uh, opinion because, like I said, a lot of people have difficulty with it. But it's I could almost recite sections of that book. I've read it so many times. Um, so that's the core adjacent. Um, that was a little bit more difficult. Um, I often recommend people read The Little Sisters of Illyria first, uh, even before The Gunslinger, because it's a time and, you know, chronologically, most of it is before The Gunslinger, and it's a time when Roland is a little bit more accessible. 
Uh, it's a gentler introduction to the series. So, you know, as a novella, I think I would pick that as maybe the adjacent. Can you see King going back to Midworld again? I know he did it recently with um, with Gwendy's Final Task. Like, do, do you get a sense there's more Dark Tower stories bubbling away under there? I think there always is. Um, he has said that he often has to fight to keep it out. Um, so with 11.22.63, he said that there was a temptation when you, you know when he went back to Derry to sort of get into Dark Tower-ish stuff mm. and set up fight to keep it out. He sort of drops a, a little bit of a hint of it in uh, his most recent book, Fairy Tale. You know, there are more worlds than these concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has said that if he ever went back, the the story that he would like to tell is the uh, the, the battle uh, where the first quartet uh, meets its tragic ending, Jericho mm-hmm. Hill. Um, he also... So one thing I discovered when I was working on the road to the Dark Tower, which I think a lot of people don't get because it's in a footnote, is that there's a section in Wizard and Glass where uh, the day after Roland uh, bests court and he's out uh, celebrating and his father comes to see him in the hotel room and he says, the narrator says, his father looks at Roland, his son, the one that had lived. And so I, when I was working on the road to Dark Tower, I fired off this email to King and said, did Roland have siblings? And he wrote back and said, ah, he said, you caught that. Yeah. He said, yes, Roland had a brother and a sister. And that's it. He didn't say anything. And so when I was working on the Dark Tower Companion, I did a formal interview with King that's included in that book. And one of the questions was, I said, you know, you told me this. Do you want to expand on that? And his first answer was just a very frank no. But then... I said, you know, Robin Firth had this theory, and then he he sort of followed up, and he said, you know, Everlyn, the woman from the uh, place where Gabrielle de Shame went, you know, to uh, the retreat, she knows everything, and she knows about uh, Roland's sister. Uh, right now, I think off the top of my head, I think her name is Clarice, uh, and he said, you know, maybe I'd like to go back and revisit that someday. So. You know, when the wind blows, the stories come. Well, we just have to wait for the wind to blow. Mm. Yeah, it certainly sounds like there's a there is a lot more to tell. I guess to to wrap up on the Dark Tower, and then just before we sort of get about closing this chat, the question I've been asking everyone for their choice of books. If if I asked you for a three word summary, a three word list of reasons why somebody who's never given the Dark Tower a go should give it a try, what would those three reasons be? Horror, fantasy, western. Right. Perfectly done. Okay. Well, Bev, thank you so much for your time. This is this has been really great to chat to you and, and chat all things King as well. Before I let you go, there's there's one thing we have to do before we wrap this up, because this is what everyone's doing on, on this series, is is to for you to complete the um the quick fire nineteen question King challenge. So um, Okay. So start the clock. I'm ready. Yeah. Are you ready to go? <laughs> cool. So you we can make this you can you can literally just give your answers with no explanation to this. Okay. I, it's it's as quick fire as you want it to be. So, uh, was you've already mentioned this, but what was the first King book you read? Salem's Lot. And the most recent King book you read? Fairy Tale. What's your all time favorite King? Vagabonds. Okay. All time least favorite? Tommyknockers. What do you think is King's most underrated book? Gerald's Game. Okay. 
In terms of cover artwork, which King book has your favorite cover? The uh, Regulators and Desperation tie together cover that was on the Viking American edition. Mm -hmm. And what about your least favorite cover? Dallas Macabre was pretty uninspired. Okay. It's just words on a cover. Yeah. What's the one King book you could recommend to absolutely anybody? Again, Bag of Bones. Yeah. Okay. Um, thinking of adaptations and movies, TV series, all of that kind of stuff. What's your favorite King adaptation? Stand by me. And what about your least favorite? <laughs> Dolan's Cadillac, Cell, mm -hmm. Children of the Corn 23. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, if I could offer you the chance of giving you a King character to make a cameo in some of your own fiction, who would you like to have come and join your work? Clyde Omni. Okay. Um, and which King book or, or maybe even short, a short story would you say is most similar to your style of writing? Mr. Mercedes. Okay. And then I want you to give me one King book for each of the following. So one that you would keep forever, one that you would read only once and then put on your shelf and forget about, and one that you would delete from existence. <laughs> Cancel culture. I, uh, the, the Shining, uh, keep forever. Mm -hmm. uh, needful things, read once, put on the shelf. Uh, Tommy Knocker is just... You know. Okay. And then for, for the final five of this 19 question, it's just a, a straight either or. So um, let's start. Would you prefer the book or the movie? Book always. The Stand or It? That's a tough one, but I'd say The Stand. Would you rather take a holiday in Derry or spend a night at the Overlook? Well, the night at the Overlook. Lots of people have been there and survived that. Okay. Um, you prefer short story or full novel? Full novel. And lastly, would you rather go for walkies with Cujo or have a weekend away with Annie Wilkes? Cujo's a good dog. Annie Wilkes just batshit crazy. <laughs> good. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I'm with you all the way. Well, Bev, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. It's been a really good chat. Um, before we wrap up, like in terms of what you've got, got coming up, what you've got out already, what can people expect from you? What can they find from you right now? Where, the, where can they connect with you? Like All of that kind of stuff. Okay. I'm all over social media. I have a website, bevvincent.com. I'm bevvincent on Twitter. Uh, my caveat about Twitter is, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff about King in my writing, but I'm also highly political on there. So, you know, depending on what your political leaning is, you may not like everything I have to say. <laughs> uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook, of course. Um, recent uh, things, uh, I mean, I've always got tons of short stories. This is actually a, a really good year for short stories. Uh, just had one come out in a British anthology called Gone, a uh, crime fiction anthology. Um, I have a collaboration with the British horror writer uh, Brian Keane called Dissonant Harmonies, mm -hmm. uh, which is my longest piece of fiction, uh, a novella called The Dead of Winter. I'm just about to embark on writing a, a follow-up to that for our second collaboration. Um, as you mentioned, there's the Stephen King Revisited book from Cemetery Dance that I think will be out next year. Uh, I have a when when the pandemic lockdown came in, I had lots of extra time on my hands. I decided I'd dip my toes into the self-publishing uh, thing just to see how it worked. And so I have a, a novella on Amazon called The Ogilvy Affair, uh, a sort of standalone. And I describe it as a noir whodunit. 
Uh, so check that out. But uh, yeah, if, if you go to bevvincent.com, you can see everything that's uh, recent and upcoming. Great. Brilliant. Well, Bev, again, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, great, great to catch up with you and hopefully, uh, hopefully speak again soon. Thank you very much for having me on. There we go. Huge thanks to Bev. I hope you enjoyed his stories and I hope you enjoyed a bit of living vicariously of being friends with Stephen King vicariously over the course of that interview. I really appreciate Bev giving up his time to join me on this podcast you know when he agreed to do it there was not even an episode out there for him to see that it was a that it was a viable real thing so he took a chance on me i really appreciate that and and do if you haven't already done so pick up Stephen king a complete exploration of his work life and influences by bev vincent it's one of the best books you could add to your collection that is about king and you will learn loads from it whatever sort of Stephen king fan you are so that's it for this episode and for this series of constant writers so if you haven't had a chance to check all of the episodes yet, do go and do that. There's five more for you to check out, some great talent for you to hear from, some great King books for you to hear them discussing, and of course, lots of links to follow up on and go and support those authors and pick up their work and maybe, maybe find a new favourite for your bookshelf. I've got more seasons planned of concert writers to come later in 2023. So I will be back with another concert writer very soon. But otherwise, share these episodes with a friend who might be interested. Feel free to check out my YouTube channel as well for way more Stephen King content. There's the Stephen King quiz book, which I wrote, which you can pick up as well. And the newsletter, of course, which you can sign up to. But otherwise, thank you so much for supporting this new podcast. I look forward to bringing some more concert writers to your attention a little later in the year. And I guess it's ciao for now.